listening to Let's Think On It, featuring Dr. Mark Westfall. Welcome to Let's Think On It. Uh, I'm Dr. Mark Westfall, and I have a guest today, Jason Lee, and I have a co-thinker, Haley Ingram. Uh, and uh, welcome, guys, to the show. Thanks. I want to be a co-thinker, too. <laughs> you are also a co-thinker. All guests are <laughs> automatically co-thinkers. co-thinkers. Okay, good. Right. We, we formulated that title, co-thinker. I like it. <laughs> well, yeah, the, the, the thought behind the podcast series was um, we like to take a topic and we like to think on it a little bit and go deeper than your average media might go. And so, um, because my philosophy is we learn so much more from thinking with others and learning from other people's brains. And I've come to love the brain as a organ in the body uh, and obviously devote a lot of time to it. But brains fascinate me. People have so much knowledge and information and everyone learns differently and everyone has different experiences. And so the more brains you can experience, the better life is. It's a journey. That's what relationships are to me. So we can't just be co-hosts. So right. you can't be co-hosts. <laughs> you got to be a co-thinker. Co-thinker. So all right. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Well, and so thanks for being here, and thanks for making the trip. Drove over from Atlanta. I did to be here. I did. Wouldn't have missed it. We are based in Birmingham. For those listeners out there that don't know where we are, and Haley's a recurring co-thinker. She's been on another podcast, and so and Jason's a recurring guest. Actually, he was on uh, the radio show uh, on BMR Birmingham Mountain Radio in January. Yes. Great experience for me. You made me feel very welcome. Uh, and, you know, we left that conversation. And in the hallway afterwards, after the mics were turned off, I think we both agreed we had hours of conversation that we could have had still. So I appreciate so, the opportunity to kind of pick up where we left off and uh, go a little bit deeper if you want to. Yeah, yeah. It was, it was, it is, it, we could go on and on with, with conversation about it. And we will. So we will. So the topic in general, I mean, for those listeners who didn't hear the first podcast, if you want to, go back to the January podcast, 2017 to hear the first episode, the topic was childhood trauma, and specifically sexual trauma, which is a hard topic uh, for a lot of people to talk about, and it's a complicated topic to understand from a psychological standpoint. Um, But you you are so brave, and Haley, I know you guys are meeting for the first time. Essentially, you may not know, but we have a rock star in our midst. Uh, I listened to the January podcast, and... He rocks, doesn't he? You rock. Thanks very much. I appreciate it. I you're prefer, so brave and... I prefer badass. I adopted that from the last one. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. We had somebody that, that tweeted in and said, because you had said something like, who am I going to be yeah. uh, when Don Corley, the perpetrator, yep. gets out of prison? And someone tweeted and said, you're going you're gonna to be the same badass you are right now. I love so that. So to speak. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, no different. And you really are. You do rock. I mean, you are very brave to tell your story. Um, and as I said before, you've clearly experienced a lot of healing uh, process, which is very difficult for those out there who've not been through that process. Um, you've done a lot of hard work. Um, you've climbed the hill, so to speak. So appreciate your acknowledgement. Um, just by nature of who I am today and where I've come from, taking um, compliments like what you just gave is difficult, and I try to slough them off with jokes like what I did earlier right, with right, badass. Um, in reality, I, I'm, I'm grateful. Thank you very much. I um, have worked hard to get where I am today. Uh, and now that I have the tools, the internal tools, and the capacity 
to be able to start talking about it. I think it's a subject that's that's worth talking about. Um, and whenever I have a conversation like this dialogue here, I always have to remind myself, this is I can tell my story, but this is really not about me. Um, I want to, if I can, be the voice of other victims of this type of crime. Um, wh what I've learned is a lot of my thoughts and feelings and um, just my journey is not unique. Uh, there, are, If you are a victim of this type of crime, being molested as a child, particularly uh, being male and being molested mm. as a child, um, a lot of, of what I've dealt with, I know other people are grappling with too. So if we can um, use this as a platform to try to communicate to other victims, you're not alone. This is what could be available for you um, if you're willing to do the work and be read about it, be open about it. It's just a topic that it, the more the more we communicate and the more we bring it up, the, the, the better I think we all are, whether you are directly impacted or not. So I, I appreciate the platform. Thank you. And those statistics uh, you referenced in the January podcast, mm -hmm. that was staggering. Uh, yep. Uh, not mine. I think they're FBI statistics. Mm. Um Co-host last time said there were CDC statistics. Mm -hmm. I need to go back and confirm that. But a major organization has done the research. And the numbers are one in six boys had some type of unwanted sexual experience or assault before the age of 18. And that includes molestation. That's just about 20% of all males out there today. And for women, it's one in four. Those are just staggering, unacceptable statistics. But I'm glad that this conversation is happening and bringing to light male sexual abuse because yeah. we get a, our, we our women women yes I'm a woman um, we you know get a lot of different education and are kind of like in school it's broken apart away from the boys and mm -hmm. we get a certain type mm -hmm. of education about sexual assault mm -hmm. and rape and how mm -hmm. to uh, cope with those things, how to deal with your fellow women if if they come to you in that kind of situation. But like say in college, they made all of the girls in the junior class go to this big like conference about rape and sexual assault. And none of the boys had to go. It was required for the girls. None of the boys had to go. And I was like, this seems a little off base. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's part of part of the reason why it's so hard for men who have suffered this to talk about it long mm. term. You know, our society we, we we've got all sorts of stigma. You know, to be a real man, you've got mm -hmm. to you've got to be gruff and hide your emotions and not talk about feelings. And certainly, you know, we we applaud men who have sexual exploits. We we don't think about it generically mm -hmm. speaking that men can have unwanted sexual experiences. That was a new thought for me. Even though I was a victim, I didn't connect the two at the right. time. N now I look back on it. And, and a lot of people, when I communicate and talk about the subject with, a lot of, it's, it's a foreign thought to a lot of men. We just don't think about it. So if you're, if you're the, the five out of six, uh, it's really hard to assimilate and mm -hmm. understand. But it happens much more often than we would like. Ne which is never. Which is never, to yeah. your point. <laughs> So your Haley, your experience in in was in college with having essentially training about well abuse, all I mean our all, girls throughout their whole yeah, life it seems like a middle school like fifth grade to middle school they start kind of like grooming you about this is the way you should be treated and this like the, I remember this woman like putting 
tape on her arm and she put the tape on her arm and it was clear and then she took it off and it had some like dead skin on it and it was kind of cloudy and she was like this is you after a sexual experience or an unwanted sexual experience and I'm like so you're telling us we're tainted if this and I was like why would was she a teacher this was a, somebody she brought in and she was like so you're having to deal with this and I was like this is not the way that this should be to me, I yeah. was like, this isn't yeah. the way that this should be visualized. But, like, that kind of thing, and a lot of it was very good information, but it was always girls separated yeah. from boys, girls yeah. separated from boys. Right. This is something that we're dealing with, they're not dealing with it. Um, but also, in college, I didn't realize that rape and sexual assault was just so rant- rampant. I've had at least 10 friends tell me or just personal acquaintances tell me yeah I've been raped and just off offhand mm-hmm. and they're like and I'm still dealing with it and it's just staggering how much more common it is and I'm like I am thankful I've never been put in that situation because mm-hmm. it could have happened right at any time I'm like crazy yeah yeah I mean in in your I want to echo what you just said I mean one of the things that I try to convey to people that it's hard to help them understand how common this is and and with men and women and from my chair you hear a lot of people revealing their stories about what happened and and there are different avenues and different ways it occurs uh, but it, it is just so common and and we just don't like to look at these things as a society do we I mean you know, in, in larger circles at a, you know, gathering of friends, it just doesn't come up, right? It's difficult to have a conversation about it because it feels uh, untouchable. And people probably don't know how others are going to react. And that's like, and you don't want, the first thing you want to, you don't want to do is not believe them or, you know, make them feel like they're lying to you. And it's just, like knowing how to respond when somebody comes to you with that information is very important as well. So I was going to ask a question. I'm going to ask it again, but you may have just answered it. <clears throat> so you said that we don't, as a society, like to talk about this. It's not very comfortable, which is interesting. I agree with that. It's, but, but it's interesting. If you look back for the past 15 years or so, in the top 10 shows in the network, you've got crime shows, Law and Order, uh, all six or seven different versions of that, CSI. Um, a common theme in those shows is this type of crime. Mm-hmm. Sexual assault, yeah. rape, some yep. type of bizarre se- sexual nature that's generally one of the crimes. Yeah. We know people watch those shows, yeah. but why can't we talk about those shows? And, and Haley, maybe that's it. Maybe it's when you get down to that per- interpersonal level. You know, if we're sitting down and having a cup of coffee... Um, I want to I want to talk to you about you, and I want you to talk about me with me. Um, but I almost want that to be present based, not necessarily what happened in my past. It was certainly a defining moment for me, and mm. it certainly added to who I am. But I um, most days I don't go around um, with the thought right in the forefront of my brain that uh, I I was molested. I was molested. I was molested. No, it's I got to I got to work and right. and I got a friend whose son's getting married and I mean there's life events that take priority and so when I'm sitting down and having a cup of coffee with you I don't always want to want to talk about what happened to me in the past. I want to have a relationship with you now based not necessarily before. And to that 
you've mentioned, you know, some listeners might not want to listen because it might trigger their own trauma. Talking about it, is that a trigger for the trauma? I think for, for me personally, it can be. Um, there are most of the time, probably 95% of the time, I can talk about it and I'm fine. There are times where sometimes I do get triggered. And it's really interesting. My 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 manifestation of the trauma and, and what I do is I end up getting body tremors, mm. uh, pr- pretty serious ones, uh, depending on, on the level of context and the situation and mm. things like that. Um, I, I can also tear up at times. That is less... Um, pervasive and less disruptive. Uh, when I get a body trigger, um, it can absolutely happen. Uh, in fact, it happened um, to a small degree. I thought it was going to get really bad there for a while, but while we were talking uh, back in January on, on, the, on the radio show, um, in one of the breaks, I don't know if you remember this, but I said, hey, this is going to happen. It's okay. Keep mm-hmm. talking. We'll, right. we'll get right. through that. And I just knew it was going to happen. That's it, so brave. <clears throat> Uh, Thanks it, for sharing and being willing to share. It's awesome. I appreciate it. It's, I, I just I've I've had an, enough conversations and I know mm-hmm. my body enough now to know. Okay, this is going to happen. It's going to be okay. We'll keep talking. And and if if the tremors are bad enough, then my voice kind of goes away and I sound like I'm an adolescent again and my voice cracks and I probably won't talk when that happens. But uh, generally speaking, uh, that does happen. I do get triggered. I can't tell you what exactly triggers it for me. Um, I've never been able to really pinpoint that, um, but I acknowledge it happens. Know it's there, and we'll get through it together. And, and the, the word bravery, I like. I mean, my personal definition, or one, not my personal, but one I, I like that I've heard before was, you know, bravery is it's not not having fear. It's proceeding in spite of your fear. Right. And so you know sometimes this is going to be painful. You know it's going to be in, be cause emotional pain, and yet you're willing to share anyway. And to me, I agree, that's what makes it brave, is that you're willing to talk about it even though it has caused you a great deal of pain and continues to cause you pain. But, you know, that to me, that is what the bravery is about. So I agree with Haley, it's very brave to, to discuss this. And so, and earlier, Haley, you were saying, you know, sometimes the listener doesn't know what to say. I think, did you right. allude to that? So, yeah, like, how do you have these conversations? and Or is it something that, you know someone else comes to you well I guess that would have to be the way it is but uh, like how how do you respond what should you do if someone how, were to share with you if a friend shares share with you how do you the, respond yeah how do you respond like what are the things you should and should not say or do you know and it's, it's just kind of like a you don't want to put them in a worse place than they were before yeah I'm gonna I want you to answer that, but I think it's a great question because I have a lot of people who want to help and want to be there for someone, but they really don't know what to say. And many times it's human nature to not say anything. Um, or to be defensive or like non, not believe somebody. And that's yeah, that's a, well. That's another really response. Bad. Right. That's another response is to not is to doubt it. Yeah. Um, but even for someone who's well intentioned and you have a friend that shares with you, it's difficult as a listener sometimes. They don't know how to respond. Um, I've got my thoughts on that just because I've had a lot of people, a lot of family members come in and they'll say, "Well, when so and so says something, I, mean, I I don't know what to say." And oftentimes the person who needs them to just be there feels like they're not with them in the moment. 
Um, they're trying to process what they're saying. Yeah, the, the person who needs their assistance feels like they're not... The, 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 they don't have the equip, they don't have the tools to be able to tell them to respond in the way they need to. Yeah, they, yeah. they, they feel like their loved one is not responding in the way they need, and they feel like they're not with them, and yet the loved one wants to be with them, they just don't know how. And right. So part of it's helping to communicate, hey, sometimes it's okay just to be there, just to listen. Mm-hmm. You don't have to... F- sometimes people think, I think, they need to fix things, it's like, you, you don't have to fix this. You just need to be brave enough to listen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I thought about your question, and I had to reframe it, by the way. It was, it was how do I want people to react when I tell them mm. my history? Mm-hmm. So I had to make it about me. Um, and, I, and I have to, I, I thought about it. Uh, my first response is, well, it's kind of contextual. Mm-hmm. It's situational. Mm-hmm. Depending on the situation and what the objective is, here in this conversation, um, we are colleagues and we are sharing and I'm not worried about your response and I'm, I'm being authentic and I'll just talk as that's the agenda and the topic of what right. we're talking about. Uh, I, I go back to the, the last uh, person that I told voluntarily. And you know what? Yeah, he and I were um, on a business trip together and I was friendly with him, but I was not friends with him. Mm-hmm. And through the course of our tenure and working together, I um, at some point decided, you know what, I, I could be your friend. And I distinctly remember it was um, a night after working and we were both at a hotel and we were sitting outside near they had a little fire pit. And it was just one of those times where I decided I was going to share that. And so um, it's a gift. I'm giving this part of me mm. to you that I'm telling you about. Uh, it, is a, it is something that's intimate not necessarily uh, from a sexual intimacy perspective, but it is as emotionally intimate mm-hmm. as I can get. If, if I choose to tell you my story, um, it is a gift and it's something that's intimate. And so I would say take the topic out of it. If someone gives you a gift at a, at a personal, intimate level, that level, that, the way you respond there could probably apply. And, and Dr. Mark, you, you said something good. Um, you can't fix it. I'm not telling you this because I need you to fix something. Mm-hmm. I'm sharing something with you at such a deep level. It, I, I expect it to enrich and deepen our relationship. Uh, you are welcome to share intimate things with me. If, if I'm sharing this with you, that's the, the level of relationship that we can, can go down if we're just talking about a casual conversation. So listen, be there. Don't be on your phone while I'm talking to you. Don't be distracted. Be there with me when I'm sharing this with you. Let me talk. Ask questions. You know, if, if I'm going to share it with you, I want you to understand it because I hope that adds value to our relationship and then we can kind of move on. And again, it, it happened to me in the past, but it, it doesn't necessarily define me of who I am today. Mm-hmm. So the, the guy that I told, it was a work colleague, we continue to work together. I, I, I think we probably worked better together because we, we knew each other a little bit more. We could trust each other a little bit more. We, we started to be more helpful to each other in the work environment. And that was just something that helped us, excuse me, helped establish that relationship. So that's kind of my, my answer to you, I think. I like that. Yeah. It's like a gift. I do love the image of a gift. And I I've certainly have envisioned or or described my job as 
having the opportunity to receive gifts from yeah. patients. I mean, they, I mean, when someone shares their life with you, it is it, it feels like a gift from this side anyway. I mean, like you know, letting me into your life. To in this case, they are asking for some assistance. Sometimes that is just to listen. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, so I think uh, I think it's a, a wonderful description of of the conversation and how it how it should go. And I, I wonder, you said something that made me um, just think about human nature, human relationships. Um, I wonder if some of the resistance of others sometimes is because it is something that's intimate, something that is a, a, a deeper relationship. You know, sometimes people are afraid to get into a deeper relationship because they may sometimes relationships have some um, not really strings attached, but it has some. Um, it's a journey that you choose together, and so uh, sometimes people may pull back from from getting into that type of dialogue because they don't want to be in that kind of relationship with someone. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. I'm just trying to think of why people would pull back. Um, but I think that if you, I mean, you cast it so wonderfully, I think you can lower their defenses of getting into this relationship. You say, look, I'm not asking for anything. Just sharing, mm-hmm. you know, and here's what happened. And, I, you know. That's what friends do. We, right. sh- we, sh- we share stories of our past. Uh, and those become platforms to build our future together, whether it's a, a spouse, a, a significant other, or whether it's just a really good friend. We are a story-based society. That's how we communicate relationships. Yeah. Um, I, I, I love that. Yeah? yeah? He's great with words. Yeah, he's so articulate. It's <laughs> he awesome. Really is, yeah. <laughs> like, I, I've never been um, an adult in a pastime, but I can tell you that I am starting to grow more and more that there is nothing more disruptive to a relationship than these screens we're walking around with these phones. You know, we're, we're, we're playing night. with our phones. Yeah, right. We're on a, a tablet, a computer, a phone. It, it, it is one of the most, it's great that we have the opportunity. We, the world's at our fingertips with the internet. On the other hand, we're paying more attention to our phone and we're not paying attention to each other. And I'm completely guilty of that, by the way. I'm absolutely 100% guilty of it. I acknowledge it. Um, I, I am interested in trying to introduce in my own personal um, life Let's let's start having some cell phone free times. Let's you know after eight o'clock. Let's let's turn off the phones. Let's start paying attention to each other. And what what does that look like in my own family unit and things like That's that? Great. Yeah. I think you 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 have a uh, five year old at home, right? I do. Yeah, I do. Yeah. So learning to reverse these these uh, technological widgets that we have and setting boundaries is a great thing to begin thinking about for you. I mean, I've already thought about it. I just yeah. got some technology that allows me to put time limits and I can actually turn the internet off yeah. for whatever gadget he has. Yeah. He has nothing right now, but I think we're two, three years away from right. having something right. that's connected. And it's not only the leveraging the time, but it's also the content itself with, with him in particular. Right, right. Yeah, that's, that's a, a good thing to be thinking about. I have a lot of, of parents who come asking about how to you know, set those boundaries with their children or their teens and and it's something you, you have to so much more to navigate now in today's life as being a parent than it was when I was growing up and, stuff. and there's so much more access to inappropriate material and like what 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 did you say the last time the um, like non-physical, Oh, in the last podcast, okay, yeah. okay. So, so the different types of of sexual abuse. Yes. So the yes. non-contact abuse. Yes. 
uh, versus, and then you have sexual contact and then yeah. you have sexual act. It's just so, so much about the easier now, like Snapchat, Messenger, and everything can be private. Right. And right. it's exhausting. Like some of my coworkers will be like, can you please show me how to monitor this or what does this mean? How do I'm trying to check my, I have to check like all three accounts of my kids different social media platforms and make sure they're not like mm -hmm. getting into anything they shouldn't be blah 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 or they're not talking to anybody they shouldn't be talking to like that's exhausting how do you like manage yeah. that right. it's i mean uh, the internet and on a phone or computer when in a child's hand or in anybody's hand really you know it is it's a portal for the world to get to you. Yes. It's not just a portal for you to get to the world and information. It is also a portal for them to get to you. And I think as a parent, that's what we're concerned about is how do I block that portal? Because that is scary. so many things can come through that portal and they, they, they reach out and they try to grab you. I mean, really. Um, you know, just, just even if you just look at the innocuous ads, I mean, there's constantly things on there to try to pull you off your path of whatever you're looking at to pull you in a different direction. The, the world is trying to pull you into this different lane and get you on a different path and view what they want you to view. Um, and so, yeah, it really is a very powerful instrument that has to be really taken with care with, with adults and children. Um, so, um, and Jason, I know you've spent um, a lot of time uh, working on that with your own family and, and setting boundaries. And so one of the things that's come up before is, is some of the work you've done in uh, teaching um, others um, kind of what to look like, look for and what it kind of looks like um, when you've got um, someone who may be a child predator. Um, and so for the listeners who didn't listen to the first podcast, and um, we can go in more detail, but um, Jason was a victim of sexual trauma uh, at the hands of someone who was an assistant scout leader. Mm -hmm. Uh, when you were in your uh, teens, essentially? Started from uh, age of 12 and stopped about age of 17. So five to six year time frame. Pretty formidable and, years. And this was someone who was, yeah. um, you know, a, essentially a, a leader in the community. Um, and that process uh, was, we've talked about it in depth a couple of times, is important to understand, I think, for listeners because... It's a very commonly repeated process by an individual child predator, and there are a lot of people out there who are child predators. I mean, it's amazing. The one in four, the one in six, I mean, these are all done by child predators. And some of them are the single predator who, who, who has, you know, multiple... Uh, 20, 30 victims in, along the way in the community, and then some are child predators who have victims that are in their immediate family um, and, and everything in between. Um, but listeners like may be thinking, well, you know, okay, well, what, what can I do? How, how do I respond as a parent? And now you're in a parent role, and so you probably have a lot of comments for them as far as what, what they can do to, to think about that process. But, you know, and we talked about it a little bit in the past podcast, but what are your thoughts on some of that? How, how does this process unfold? Uh, what does it look like uh, for the listener? And what can people do about it? Yeah. 
Lots of good questions. So let me just start talking. Sure. And just feel free yeah. to interrupt. Uh, my wife and I have spent some time talking about this, uh, particularly as it relates to my son. Um, I um, instinctually, because of my past, gravitate towards being uh, really a, a really tight helicopter parent. I want to be overly protective. I want to... I want people to answer 20 questions before you interact with my son, and I want to know what it's there. So I, I have to intentionally be aware of that and intentionally fight that. And so p- pendulum-wise, I may end up be letting him be too cautious. You know, I, at the age of three and four, I've let him be out in the front yard all by himself and not being around. It was against my better judgment, against my wife's better judgment, yet we did it, and my son's okay. So I try to... Um, allow my son to grow and not be penalized because of my past and then overreacting to my past. So, so there's one. It's a very insightful approach, by the way. So I think if I, if I understand what you just said, you were saying that you're aware that you may be more conservative with letting your child um, you know, grow up, essentially. And so you're working really hard on trying not to be overly controlling. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's a constant balance because yeah. you, you're trying to figure out what, what is the correct yeah, I'm not sure I'll ever know what that cor- I don't know I if there is a correct yeah, that's my that's point that's the struggle exactly. of parenting um, exactly. I do know I would rather um, if I'm going to make a mistake I'd rather give my son more room to learn grow develop experience and all that than less room yeah. um, I have I know several people have grown up in very restrictive households and very protective and isolated and sometimes after you leave that you get out into the real world in college or your first yeah. job or something like that, and the world can be, oh, I don't know how to react and all sort of. So I want my son to learn how uh, to react to the positives and the negatives of life uh, on, the, on, on as early as possible. Yeah. I don't put him in danger just to for the for everybody to know, but I do try to give him opportunities to feel independent and make own decisions and experience the world. That's great parenting. In other words, I can't protect him from getting hurt nor do I really want to at this age you can't be resilient unless you know what hurt feels like and, and being able to over, overcome that so um, other other tips that my wife and I have decided we're going to do with my child um, so we have talked about that uh, we're, we're going to use the right terms for your body parts mm-hmm. um, when we are describing your body parts and learning what your body does and, and things like that we are um We'd like to teach modesty. Uh, I think that at the age of five, still left to my uh, my son's own devices, he'd be a nudist. He'd walk around with no clothes on. So we're we're talking about modesty, and you need to wear clothes when you interact with other people. And so we're we're trying to to learn and educate those things. Uh, we talk about body safety, and we talk about um, your body is yours, and nobody else touches that, with with some exceptions. You know, we, we still give them baths and things, and so your parents can wash you and things like that. But this is these are your private parts, and they're yours. The other thing we talk about is, is doctors. So if your parents are with you at a doctor's office, there are time, there's a, a valid time and a place where a doctor may need to examine you. But generally speaking, other than that, your body parts are yours, and nobody else is going to touch them. You're teaching what I hear as, uh, what I word as boundaries. Mm-hmm. You're, you're teaching them boundaries, mm-hmm. and boundaries are is a a ongoing concept in psychiatry uh, in all sorts of realms, physically, emotionally, verbally. Um, people frequently cross boundaries with us throughout life, and that's when trauma occurs. Doesn't yeah? You know, as we talked about, you know, 
the non-contact sexual abuse, that's crossing a boundary. Mm-hmm. You touched them, but you still crossed a boundary and you affected the other person mm-hmm. by exposing them to something that they shouldn't have been exposed to. Right. Yeah. So what I'm hearing from you is you're, you're helping your son learn what are boundaries. And that is a beautiful description of what parents do, either consciously or unconsciously, is they are the first... Um, experience for children in learning the boundaries of the world around them. Some parents cross boundaries, some parents teach boundaries, there's all, there's everything in between, but we as humans learn boundaries as we grow and the first people who teach us boundaries are our parents. And so I mean, it sounds like you're doing a wonderful job of teaching your son proper boundaries. Thanks. So, um, some more things we do. Um, we talk about in our family unit, there are no secrets. There are surprises. It is okay to not share something with somebody, but the expectation is be eventually they're going to find out. There are times where outside of our family where it's appropriate not to tell somebody something. You know, you don't have to walk up, hey, I had a great poop today or something like that. that that's not something you're going to tell from a five-year-old standpoint. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but on the other hand, in, inside, you know, if it's my wife and I and the five-year-old um, for Valentine's Day, we got my wife flowers. My, my son helped me order them and we got it. It wasn't a secret. It was a surprise. Don't tell mom. It's a surprise. And so for a week... He had a surprise, and we were building up to the surprise, and all of a sudden on Valentine's Day, we had a surprise! That's Happy Valentine's Day. And so that, that, those are ways to be able to, to frame that. Um, and we also try to set up, and, and this will be an ongoing uh, struggle maybe, uh, to stay connected with my son every day. Um, my son comes home from school, and I, I sit down with him and intentionally spend a few minutes. What did you do at school today? What was good today? Tell me what happened. Did you do this activity today? So we'll talk a little bit about that. I want to develop a habit so we're always connected. I want to do that when he's a teenager, and hopefully even when he moves on out of my house and he's an adult. I want to, I want to still talk to my son and understand what's going on. I don't want to talk about some of the surface. What happened at school? And then I've got follow-up questions. And how'd you feel about that? Was that fun? Did you make a friend today? What happened on the playground? You know, who's your, who, who are your friends? And we, we talk about that. I want to stay connected. And I want, I want to create an environment where my son feels comfortable coming with me with anything. You can tell me anything. I may have a reaction to it. This is a later lesson. Uh, but I may have a reaction to whatever you tell me. But there's nothing you cannot tell me about. Really. I... Uh... That's a great description of how to keep a verbal dialogue going with your child uh, about most anything. I have this similar analogous conversation with parents when they're dealing with their teens about substances. Um, And it all starts with how you talk to your child starting now. I mean, age five or, I mean, how you communicate things and and communicating. I think you hit the nail right on the head with that. With, With any topic, you want to make the communication between you and your child an ongoing dialogue, which means you have to listen. You know, it's not, a, it's not a, a lot of people, a lot of parents feel like their job is, and one of the jobs is to teach, but that's not, you don't teach by always doing the talking. Mm-hmm. You frequently teach by doing the listening. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, it's a wonderful description of, of parenting um, a child 
and protecting them from lots of things, sexual abuse, mm -hmm. substances. Yeah, this isn't just about sexual abuse, right? right. This is, I, 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 want, the, I think the key of everything I've said so far is that you've got to stay involved. Yeah. Uh, it's all about your, the, the time. Your child has to stay a priority for your life. I said this on the podcast, the one, our last conversation. Don't delegate your, parent, your, your child's raising to any other person or institution. As a parent, you made a choice to have a child. It is now your obligation um, morally, ethically, all of it is your your obligation to stay connected with your child, and your child has to be your priority and, until he leaves your care. Yep. That's it, right? And so I'm not saying don't let your children participate in sports at school or extracurricular activities or scouts or church or, or whatever it is. I'm just saying that when your child participates in that, be connected with your child and be an adult volunteer. Find out what's going on. Be present. Know what's going on. Know who the leaders are. Mm -hmm. Stay stay connected. Mm -hmm. Let your child have every opportunity to grow and have new experiences as possible. But you as a parent, I'm absolutely committed to this, and I think we all should. Stay connected. Stay involved. It may not be everything you want to do on spending your time, but this is such a short, in, in your whole lifespan, it's such a short piece of your life. Stay connected. Watch your child learn, grow, develop, be a, be a partner as your child experiences that. I, I truly believe if you do that, number one, your state, your state, your child will be protected more than, than other parents who aren't involved. But two, you're adding those stories and those memories so your relationship with your adult child will be that much richer and closer if you participate as your child grows and develops during, during childhood. So great description of parenting one-on-one and forming relationships with your children and, and going and as they raise up and as you uh, develop an adult-to-adult -adult relationship. Um, getting to your story and your experience, and some of the listeners, we haven't touched base on this in this podcast, and, but what happened for you, and if you, we can go into that, that's all right for sure. your sniffle. Um, you moved from... Atlanta when you were 12? About 12, yeah. Your parents had divorced. Mm -hmm. Your dad stayed in Atlanta. Yep. Mom came here and, and you uh, were joined the church, joined Scouts. Yep. Your mom said, I need some help parenting. Yep. Uh, and she was going back to school, I think. Yeah, uh, very laudable goals from her standpoint. Um, so she was a stay-at-home mom before the divorce. So we moved over here to Birmingham. Uh, my mom now had the responsibility of earning a living, and so she went back and taught school. Uh, ended up going to school to get her master's degree at the same time. Uh, that's in addition to having two sons that were involved in different levels of activity. Mm -hmm. So she was mm -hmm. taxing us around, all sorts of things. And so uh, in, in my local community in Homewood, Alabama, when I was growing up, my Boy Scout troop met at my church. And that church building was relatively close to my house. So I frequently would either ride my bike or walk there. I didn't have to rely on my, my mom to transport me over there. And those are two institutions, church and, and the scouts, uh, that they're laudable institutions. It's where you would want your child to yeah. be and, and raised and be able to participate. Those are good organizations. Uh, what was bad about it is that there was an adult a volunteer leader in both that particular scout unit as well as a youth group at the church. 
He was same, involved. Same leader. Same involved leader. In multiple things. Two two organizations. Yeah. He was involved in a couple of other organizations in the Birmingham community too. I didn't intersect with him in those, uh, but Church and Scouts. And what he did was that was his feeding ground for finding new boys to befriend, groom, and ultimately molest. Uh, and so it started me when, when in 1986, um, he saw me, uh, recognized my vulnerability. Um, you know, I had had some very volatile, traumatic experiences happen. Uh, parents divorced, moved. I had really no friends, had to reset my whole life. Plus, oh, by the way, I was 12. And the whole, the whole deal with becoming an adolescent, the hormones raging and the body changing and all sorts of stuff like that. Uh, I was uh, socially awkward and vulnerable, and he saw that and recognized that and leveraged that to befriend me, uh, uh, earn my trust, my admiration. Uh, he invited me to spend time with his family, wanted me to babysit his kids and do yard work at his house. He fundamentally stepped into my life and became a father figure to me during that time. Uh, and then once that solid foundation from a like up that parental relationship was established he used that as advantage and under the pretense of he wanted to give me sexual education because again I'm, I'm, I'm 12 I'm 13 right. at this point uh, I've got raging hormones walking out with erection all the time and so what he did was he's like well did anybody ever talk to you about the human body and what you're doing I'm like, no not really uh, so he spent time and talking to me about that um, and then use that level of sexual education to say, okay, so um, you're, you're, you're going to date. You're not dating now, but you're going to date. And you're going to need to know what sex is like with, with, a, with a girl. Um, but there's some bad stuff that can happen to that too. You can get the girl pregnant and all sorts of stuff like that. I, it would be much better if you, if you and I just practiced here. So um, let, let's you and I explore what that is. You'll be able to learn. You'll be better for your girlfriend one day. Uh, but for now, we, we can teach that. And so that was ultimately how we got into that level of sexual molestation. Uh, and I, I had mentioned to you personally off air earlier, I think out of all the victims uh, of this one particular man, um, I think I was probably molested from a longer period of time, if not the longest period of time of all of his victims. And we think it was over 40 victims of this one guy. Yeah. So to reiterate from the listeners to the listeners, because we've had more conversation about this, as, as you just alluded to. This relationship was really a father-son type relationship. It had evolved to where, I mean, he filled a void that um, was a role model, a leader, and he involved you in his day-to-day -day life and his family. Mm -hmm. And this was the, you know, at a time when you were incredibly vulnerable for so many reasons, Do you, if you just... If you're a listener, put yourself into this situation. It's a brand new city for you. You've, you've, you're leaving a city where you've been for the first you know, 12 years of your life. So you don't have a lot of relationships. Your father is not here. Your mother is here, but very busy. Mm -hmm. And someone shows a lot of interest to you and says, Hey, um, come spend some time at my house. And this is someone who's an assistant leader in the Scouts, uh, also helping out with the youth group at the church, revered by the community, highly thought of, right? I mean, as he's, he has been helping boys for a long time as a role model. And he, you're like, hey, this guy likes me as a person. I mean, like, you know, 
He wants to befriend me. He wants to be a father figure. And then he takes that, and as you're entering a world of things you've never entered before, i.e. the sexual world is at 12 and 13, you're like, what is this all about? Everybody's wondering about their, their body and their interest and their attractions. I mean, we all go through that stage of, what is this? What is this all about that we never, you know, what is this thing we never talk about about? And so, and then he starts leading you down a path of saying, this is okay. And you're like, well, this is like the new norm, right? This is my, this is what, this yeah. is what happened. This is how it's done. And what I want to help listeners understand is that that's how it happens. But where does the, this isn't normal come in? Like a recognition you of you yourself, like, this isn't normal. This isn't. It, well, you're, you're, you, you saying, let me, let me just ask a question to you, Hey. Are you saying it doesn't sound normal for that to happen? Right? No, no. I'm saying, like, if you yourself are a victim of molestation, like, when you, you were just saying this is becoming the new norm, that, or this is the norm for you, when does that break of wait, this isn't great normal question. come? This is a great question. Yeah. Um, I, I, I can't speak for anybody. I think it's, it's a very personal, individual yeah. um, answer. Uh, for me, um, it did not, that did not happen until the summer before my senior year in high school. And I cannot give you a defining light bulb moment. Uh, all I know, all, uh, retrospectively, I, I knew I was getting this feeling that something just wasn't right. This wasn't. This wasn't okay. Um, I had met a girl, and I was really interested in this girl, and I wanted to date the girl, and I wanted to give the girl all my time and attention, and I wanted to spend less time with the man who was molesting me and had been for five years at that point. Uh, and um, the more the more that started being available to me, uh, the more I was realizing that it, I didn't, it wasn't fun. I didn't like it. I, it didn't feel right to me. And, and that feeling grew bigger and bigger. And for me, um, I spent months over the, what I recall to be months over that summer telling the, the man, Don Corley, who was molesting me, no, I don't want to do this anymore. This is not, I, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't think I said to him at that time, this isn't right. We shouldn't do this. I don't think I said that at the time. I just knew I wanted it to stop. It was just he was so manipulative that oh my god it made it just completely like a norm. I cannot appropriately communicate how the manipulation was. Um, he was um, really really good at talking to me, and he would hit uh, from a conversation standpoint. He would not stop. He'd ask the same questions over and over again. He would um, he would phrase questions differently and do that oh my god i just remembered there was one time where he would uh he talked to me about i i know when you're lying to me i know i know when you're lying to me uh i'm gonna you look me in the eye i'm gonna ask you this question and if you look up it was like if you look up to the left you're lying to me but if you look to the right you're telling me the truth or some something like that and and he was so he prided himself on knowing how people, he was a communicator and knew how people communicate and could interpret body language and he just positioned himself as this master communicator, and 
it was incredibly difficult for me to get out of that conversation. I think probably for any teenager, it would have been difficult for someone who is groomed over a period of years. Yeah. And if like if it's your dad and your dad sits down with you across the table and says, we're, we're not leaving here until we get to the bottom of this. And you just talk and talk and you talk and you're like, dad, I'm, I'm, I'm done. Can I, I, I'm, I'm going to bed. No, we're not leaving until you, until we settle this. It was that type of forcefulness and conversation that came around uh, and quite often that tactic worked on me. I I would just give up. I just I just want to stop talking. I wanted to fine. I'll agree to whatever you want to. I just I want to stop talking. Um, that didn't happen this the summer of my senior year. I finally I finally had the fortitude to say no. I want this to stop. This is this is it. And so it largely stopped uh, my senior year. Uh, there probably was one or two or a handful of incidents that happened after my senior year started, but generally speaking, um, it had stopped. But it, it wasn't just a conversation where I could say, Don, I don't want to do this anymore. Oh, okay. It was not that easy at all. It, I recall that summer to be a very difficult, not fun summer for me because I, I felt like I spent the months trying to exit w- what had been happening for mm. years. Um, to back to your core question, uh, you know, what causes you to say, oh, or realize this isn't good? I, I don't know if I can personally answer mm-hmm. that. I, I it, it was like a individual, a slow building tsunami that finally it, I reached critical mass where I had to say no, no more. Mm. You know, we, we had talked just based on this before um, about the um, process of grooming. Um, and I think it's probably the, probably the hardest thing, one of the hardest things, I don't know if it's the hardest, one of the hardest things for someone who hasn't experienced it or hasn't, you know, talked with a lot of people about it, how that occurs, how that relationship develops. It's different than the trauma that, Haley, that you spoke about where you're in college and you've got these mental boundaries established and someone crosses that boundary. Yeah, you're not in the formulative years. Yeah, it's a little, it's a different experience. Yeah, Yeah, right. Right. I mean, so it's, it's a very different type of sexual trauma. It's all traumatic. Don't, don't, you know, it's not comparing. Right. It's just a different type that, that occurs. Mm -hmm. And this is the, the type that Jason's talking about is a type that I, one of the types I hear so much about from people from an incestual standpoint, it's a, you'd be amazed how often it occurs within a family. Mm-hmm. And it's the same approach. It's gradual. There's this clear um, relationship imbalance between the adult and a child. Um, there's a, a connection between the two. Um, we, when we hear the story, when we as bystanders hear the story, you know, Jason talks about the Scoutmaster, we, we can clearly mentally put this Scoutmaster guy in the bucket over here of bad. You know, we got a good bucket over here. This guy's bad. But when you are 12 and you are, uh, and someone pulls you into their life and their confidence and, and is a father figure, they're not bad. They're at points, good. And it's those, that positioning, where are their positioned. Can I share something? Yes, So please. I worked at an institution in college for like two or three years. I'm just going to leave it unnamed. But 
Um, there was a man that worked there, um, just very sweet, always smiling, um, very approachable. And he would always tell me, like before I would leave my shift, and I was basically an adult by this time, but he would always share with me like what was going on in his youth group. We had a children's center at the institution um, that would just hundreds of people every day coming in there with their families. And, you know, after work, he'd share like, oh, we're doing this in my youth group today. We're um, this, ex this thing exciting happened in my youth group, blah, blah, blah. He was like a very active member. Second year I was working there, we get an email that this guy had been having child pornography shipped to the workplace. Um, so he didn't get caught with it. And the first thing that went to my mind was, this guy is so involved in a child's youth group. It's like, it's a, it's, that is so scary as a parent to know, like, because these people just are, know where to position themselves to get vulnerable kids. And it's just, right. that was the first thing I was like, oh my gosh, like, how did I not see anything, you know? I'm assuming he's, He's in jail. Okay. Yeah. One He's of the jail. things as, as an adult now, um, I have a fairly decent radar, I think, about stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And I always give a one, there's once or twice look over, um, over an adult that volunteers at a youth organization that doesn't have a youth involved. Mm -hmm. So I have to think, okay, why are you here? You're right. What, what is your motivation for that? Mm -hmm. um, and, and my guy was a pillar of the community and was known for his giving and his altruism and all sorts of stuff like that. I, I, I don't think a lot of people have that as much as what I was originally led to believe. Mm -hmm. uh, and there are some good people out there that give their time and that's their calling and that's what they do and they're highly respectable Unfortunately, I will now look at those people and give them a second or third glance and be a little bit more guarded around the person who is consistently connected with organizations with kids around and they don't have a kid involved themselves. Mm -hmm. Just that's, that's a good way of looking at it. Well, I mean, it is. It certainly should raise a flag. Yeah. But we, as you already said, you can't put everyone in that category. Mm -mm. Yeah, so nope. Many people who you know, clearly want to help children and, and are there because, maybe because their childhood wasn't great. Maybe I think the question is a good one. What what interest do you have in it? I think it's a reasonable thing to ask, to inquire. Again, have that dialogue. And like and you said, being involved in what your children well, are exactly. involved in so, and just being aware. Of the last 10 years or so in our country, we, we now have this, if you see something, say something mentality, right? Mm -hmm. We talk about it in terms of terrorism. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't have to stop there. If you're involved with your kid and you're physically around and you're paying attention, if you see something, say something. You know, talk talk to somebody, share it with somebody else, mm -hmm. ask the question. It's not a witch hunt. We're not here to find problems where there isn't problems. But on the other hand, if you are there and active and observant, it's your responsibility to say something if you indeed see something. Mm -hmm. So as a parent, if you're looking at an organization... What are some things you want to look for for an organization that is doing a good job of monitoring this type of and preventing this type of, of activity? Sure. Uh, can I talk about one in particular as a case study? Yes. I think the Boy Scouts of America. So let me talk about that. 
Um, the Boy Scouts of America um, is, an, is an organization that's been around for over 100 years. Uh, back when, 100 years ago, I don't think they had policies in place to, to protect kids and do that. But as the organization matured and as society has matured, they recognized that there was a need. Um, it is a, an organization ripe to be taken advantage of uh, across the world, and certainly in the country here. There's been different incidents that's happened, including mine. Um, the Boy Scouts of America put a policy in place. They call it the Youth Protection Program. Uh, and in that, there are a couple of foundational pillars. Every, if you volunteer, if you're an official volunteer for the Boy Scouts of America, you have to take this training. Uh, and the training is, is accessible and available. You can do it online. You can do it in person. But you have to go through that. Everybody has to learn the principles of what the program is. And one of the foundations of that principle is they call it too deep leadership. Uh, there, you, as an adult volunteer, you never want to be in a situation where you are alone with a child. P- period. No matter how helpful you want to be, you shouldn't get in a car, you shouldn't be in a, a tent with another boy by yourself, you shouldn't be in a car and drive somebody uh, without another adult leader present. It is a, a safeguard that it pays dividends for those who want to be protected uh, where, so there's always another adult leader present with, with a boy or multiple boys in place. I think, I think to your specific question, any organization that my child is going to be involved in, I am going to ask the question, what are your, what are your child safety policies? Right. What do you have? Can I read them? Do you want me to be a, do you want to share them with me? Do you, is there a training that I need to participate in in order because if I'm involved with my kid, I'm probably going to be an adult volunteer leader. How do I get accredited for whatever my son's going to do? The, the foundational question I want to know from any organization is what are your policies to keep my child safe? And I think that transcends the potential of, of sexual predators, uh, all of the safety, but there should be an absolute policy in place addressed in keeping my child safe from predators. That's the question I would ask. And so one of the things, thoughts that I had was listeners may be wondering, well, okay, so you have this 2D policy in place, but... Obviously, that's not going to keep the child molester from breaking that rule. The rule itself doesn't keep the molester from acting, but what it does is it it begins a conversation within the organization itself about what is appropriate. And so now you have educated all the leaders and all the people involved about what protecting children are. So now if you have someone who is breaking that policy, you're like, wait a minute, what's mm-hmm. going on? We're not supposed to be doing that. Why do I keep walking in the room and he's in the room by, you know, alone with a child? So, so you know, it, it's not necessarily that the perpetrator is going to follow those rules, but you have a conversation about it and you educate the institution about what needs to happen so that you have many eyes on the process so that then the hope is, is that that perpetrator will be, you know, essentially found out or, sure. or at least, or he'll, he or she will say, hey, you know, I'm go somewhere where there's not as much uh, knowledge about what's Attention. going on. Yeah. Yeah. I think the, the Boy Scouts, their, their education program has been modeled uh, with other, they're, they're a, a leader, I think, in keeping children safe right. in the modern world, which is, is great. Um, I have been in several units uh, across the scouting organization where the adults really take that seriously. I mean, they really take it seriously. 
and they'll call out if 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 I were to walk I've seen it where if I were to walk into a room and you're alone with a boy I I'd call you out I we would that would never happen again right. and right. I, other I mean it was really serious about it uh, but there's another element that you just talked about I'm a firm believer in just the topic in general the more we talk about it the more we're aware the less safe it is for uh, a potential predator to act out and find a victim. If we all talk about it, we can do that. We, we've, we as a society, we've done it with drugs. Uh, we've done it with all sorts of equality across uh, many boundaries. Uh, it's time for us now to talk about sexual health and sexual safetyness as it relates to our kids. And back to the Boy Scouts, um, you know, that same scenario or, or the, 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 the rules they put into place, you know, educating the children about the rules. Mm-hmm. Um, so that now you give them a platform to say, hey, wait a minute. They say we weren't supposed to be in a room. I'm really glad you said that. That's actually baked into the curriculum of the kids as well now. So the adults get the education, and the kids get the education as well. Thank you for saying that. So so if you're a parent and and, approaching an organization uh, for your child to be involved in, we're certainly, I mean, uh, from talking to you before, I know you promote this, I mean, these are great organizations, and they do great things for helping uh, teach our children and grow our children. Um, and you can't, I know you're not promoting the parent has to be in their life all the time. But not the parent all. has to be engaged and know, you know, the organization with which you're getting involved. Sure. And so there's some basic questions that you can go through and ask, uh, what do you have in place for this? And if they don't seem very organized about it or don't have anything in place, then you might find a different organization. Yeah. Or... You may say, hey, I'll tell you what, I'll take this on myself and we're going to start having some regulations. Um, so you've got a, a couple of, um, of websites on your website, by the way. Your website is 30is30.com. Yeah, um, and just context around that, the man who molested me uh, was sent to prison in 1995 for a 30-year jail sentence, and he has been up for parole uh, and at the time of this recording, uh, he is up for parole for hopefully the last time on March 15th, 2017. I say the date because I know lots of people listen to your podcasts in the future and things like that. So uh, the 30 to 30 website was created specifically to educate the community uh, and galvanize a response to allow the general public to write letters to the Alabama Pardons and Parole Board specifically saying, do not grant parole to this man. And we've got information on the website. So if you're listening to this in the month of February or very early in March, uh, 30is30.com, there's a tab that says how you can help. And if in, in a physical letter sent through the Postal Service is the best thing that you can do to help the cause. In addition to that, there are some resources on that. And I think after March 15th, you'll see the website change less about my particular violator and more about uh, the topic in general. Uh, I think my, my story, which is up on the website right now, it will probably remain because I think it's a great way to put into context uh, and, and to have the reader really feel and understand what my experience was like. And my experience was typical from lots of other boys who have gone through the same thing. But then it's also about there's some resources. Uh, we'd like to build some of those resources out a little bit more. Uh, with my personal journey with 30 is 30 leading up to it, I've had more and more people reach out to me and say, well, how, how can I help? And, and I've had a, a wide spectrum of questions from people who have stumbled across my website through a variety of methods. 
and so I think what we're probably going to do is to blow that out a little bit more and be a little bit more directive and, and recommend some specific resources that can help in certain situations. Uh, one, one in particular, uh, I had mentioned the numbers earlier, statistics, one in six boys before the age of 18 have some level of unwanted sexual experience. Well, there's a great nonprofit organization called One in Six. Um, they've got a website, oneinsix.org. We link to it from our website. Uh, their, their whole sole purpose is to provide support uh, to not only victims, but families of victims to be able to understand what this is and to help ultimately lead men, survivors, happier, healthier lives. Uh, there's, there's several organizations out there. I have, I have a personal connection to One in Six. They're uh, a great resource. Uh, there's a telephone line. You can call in and talk to somebody. There's an online chat. They do uh, group sessions online if you want to stay anonymous and still kind of participate in a therapeutic process. That's there. Some great articles on the website, too. So resources are there, and there are some institutions who are taking a stand and putting some credible resources and, and knowledge out there on the subject. Yeah, I've, I've looked at the, uh, you, had, you have two or three links on there to different organizations. Do you remember the other two off the top of your head? Because... No. Yeah, I need to look it up. Did, that, you were supposed to prepare me for I questions know. like that. <laughs> <laughs> but they were they were particularly helpful on questions like this. I mean, how to how to set up institutional control and how to you know uh, look into um, organizations and learn more about them and whatnot. So um, so let me see if I can remember which ones they were. You've got a bunch. Um, one is was stop it now, mm-hmm. and the other was darkness to light. And uh, so, that's a great place as well. Darkness yeah. Delight is a great organization. Um, so, yeah, I mean, Jason's got, I mean, six or eight support resources and another six or eight articles and related materials to go online. I mean, it's a lot of helpful materials on his website, which is 30is30.com, and that is 30is30.com. Um, and uh, just a tremendous amount of information for someone who's raising a child who wants to know what they can do to help make the world a safer place for their child and for others. Um, so there's a lot, of, a lot of information out there. Um, this this uh, topic to me, uh, you know, is something we could uh, continue to expand on. And I don't know if there's, is there an area you'd like, either of you'd like to take this um, for the next segment or? I kind of think it might be interesting to explore the way like in public institutions and like where we are educated as kids and young adults like about sex about assault molestation rape at like um different times in our lives uh, making it more uh making it less gendered i think or what do you mean by that can you tell me like um just you know, so splitting that type of education up uh, between boys and girls because it was like my experiences with that were so they were almost like religious, <laughs> um, and I don't think it should be that way because it seems it, it made it seem like we're always the victims. You know, and I feel like I don't know what the guys got, mm-hmm. and I know well, especially in the college, guys didn't even get 
I was about to say, yeah. for, for me, when I grew thing. up back in the 80s, 90s, yeah. I got nothing. Yeah. Guys don't get any real education about trauma at all. Um, we get right. sex ed, but it's pretty much the basics in, in kind of so like... It was very, a, very a, high level, very scientific oriented. Like a health class um, kind of thing. Yes. Yeah. And so you, you've got your awkward teenage years and do the things like that. Um, yep. There's some new programs I'd like to mention in a second that's bringing some new information to the table. But for now, I, I, I still think mostly today men just don't get a lot of formal sexual education. We don't talk about it. Right. You know, honestly, Hollywood is the one that educates our male yeah. youth on what it's like to be in a relationship. Yeah. You get more more education there than through your school system. Yeah. And I guess, obviously, you know, parents, in theory, talk to their children. That's where you get your sex education. I can remember I've got a 23- and 21-year-old, and that's kind of, I can remember we had the, the, talk, the talk, you know. But, you know, it's really, and, I, and people talk about the talk, it's really an ongoing dialogue. It should be. Over time. It's not like you said. It changes. Silly, yes. Oh, it totally changes. Yeah. And it's not like you reveal the big secret, you know, like it's the while you were out kind of HGTV kind of the redecorate your home. I want to reveal the big secret to you. But there was a time when we sat down and talked about it more intentionally. Yes. Um, you know, with our children. I can remember that, that time and it was kinda of funny. It was the, anticlimactic. But also like that stupid video they still show in fifth grade where you go after school, they split up the guys, they split yeah. up the girls. It's very like and it was a video from the eighties. I'm sure. It was from the eighties and they like it was cutesy. It wasn't there wasn't I, I don't all I remember was them showing us how to like what a tampon does and like the the rest of it it was like they kind of uh they made it for children but it didn't it like it's i don't think it should be that way and the whole like use using actual names of body parts Mm -hmm. i think that's very important personally like because i don't it it kind of helps it make it your own i think i don't know but making that sex like cutesy and even like gendering the videos and the content that you show boys and girls I think it's already creating some type of experience how sex and your body is in a certain mind frame that's not exactly yours are you thinking they should be educated as a group together not necessarily but maybe some or just like not making it from my experience anything that was about it's got that tape thing in my head (laughs) that will stay with me the rest of my life it's like any sexual experience that you have before marriage is cloudy it's tainted it's negative you are carrying this around with you and it's not positive it's bad so they didn't talk about it in a natural kind of no. They didn't talk. They talked about it. Way. it was no, and it's like, what if somebody in this room? Did you go to public is, school? Or yes. I was about to say, it's were like, you in what a faith-based somebody, school? No. Okay. I was in a public school, and it's like, what if the girl in here is has been molested, and you're telling her, "Look how dirty you are," mm-hmm. like it's wrong. And it was always like, in in college, it was always like, "You girls, you better watch." how much you're drinking because you're going to get taken advantage of. And it's never like really about guys, you better watch how much you're drinking because you're going to take advantage of somebody else. You can't control that. Right. You know, and it was always, it was always like protect, protect, protect the women 
And it's like, we can take care of ourselves. But these guys need some education, like some realness as well. Well, and I have a, I mean, I, I work with a couple of local colleges periodically. I, I have a whole, this whole another series of podcasts we could do on the whole uh, college campus scene and, and substances because that's a real setup for this to happen. I mean, you take a bunch of people between 18 and 20, one or two, whatever it is, and many of them are, for the first time, out from under supervision of parents. Many of, many of them, it's their first exposure to alcohol or substances, and many of them, it's their first exposure to sexuality. And you throw all that in there at the same time, you're just, that's a disaster, yeah. really. And so, I, I mean, um, I've been asked to talk a couple times to the colleges about about educating students about the effects of alcohol specifically, uh, other substances too, but alcohol is one of the most pervasive, and how it affects your behavior. Regardless of your gender, alcohol doesn't mind, doesn't care what gender you are. Exactly. That's it, what it I'm is going to, to affect your behavior. Yes. So recognize that whoever's drinking, when you're when you are affected by alcohol, you are no longer you are choosing to lose control. Right. When you're intoxicated. It, you're responsible for your behaviors, whether you're intoxicated or not. But you are choosing to lose control. When you get intoxicated, because right. that's what alcohol does, it suppresses your, uh, ner- your your brain's ability to do things. That's why they can test you on the roadside. You can't control right. how you say your ABCs. You can't control how you put your finger to your nose. You're choosing to lose control, and so we we should have a much different you know setup of of safeguards you know within the communal group of students when they are choosing to put themselves out of control. I mean, it just and but make also. Sense. The administrators, I don't think, should just grab all the women together who are in becoming adults, put them in a room, just the women, and teach them about, you know, alcohol and sexual assault and all that other stuff, and not do it to the men. Oh, it like should what, be. Why I agree. It should, be, non, it should yeah. be a conversation was, with these. With the, why were we made to do that? But the guys. Every freshman not. student body. It should be. It should yeah. be a joint goal to not offend each other with our actions. When you're, you're, we know you're probably going to drink. You're going to lose control. How can we, as a group, as a unit, protect each other? Protect each other. Yeah. You know, and make it a communal thing because it's a communal problem. You're right. It's not sure. boys against girls. It is a communal thing. But guys and then, should say, but "Hey, also, dude, yeah. you know, they should see it when it's happening." And it's, it's not a conquest. It is. It, it is a. It's an abuse. You know, yeah. when you're drunk, and you're, or if she's drunk, either way, and things are happening that wouldn't have happened if you weren't drunk, you should stop it. Say, right. "Hey, sure. mm, this is not not okay." Come right. back when you're both sober. You want to do that? It's fine. But you know. But also, like, it's just starting from early on. It's a, I wish on my side of things as a woman, it, I would have been made to feel more like my sexuality and my sex and my, I gender. don't want to say gender, but uh, like that I am confident, I am, this is my body and 
even if something happens and I might have wanted it to, but it I felt bad about it later. I should not feel this like taintedness about sure. sex and sexuality. And that's I feel like that's a largely a southern thing, but it's also of course it's like global, but like yeah. It's I we should not feel, have to feel so like dirty and protected about our sexuality, you know, if something happens. So I've got a, a couple of thoughts. Um, one of the things that you've mentioned is the segregation of genders and the level of education and yeah. what the topics and quality and duration, all that yeah. stuff. Um, I think th- I think there's a time and a place for having things separated. Mm-hmm. A eighth grader doesn't need to know the mechanics of a tampon. And there, Correct. Are, there are things you talk about Correct. that. There are, and, and there are men, there are topics for men. You know, uh, a woman doesn't always need to know how you self-check yourself for um, testicular cancer. Yeah. I mean, so there, there, are yeah, there are topics that make sense to Definitely. separate. I think what we're missing, generally speaking, is the follow-up session where everybody's together and we talk about the relationship dynamics which Mm -hmm. kind of the alcohol and um the self-awareness and the perception and what is right and how to say no and i don't think i think we're missing that i think that you've got some progressive institutions in college that do have some of those conversations that might be too late in the cycle maybe we should do it beforehand so my other thought about what you're talking about um I think there's probably a lack of consistency in the way we teach sexual education mm-hmm. to our youth as they come up. It is probably regionally based. I agree with you on that. And I think that the, the church and how ingrained those morals and values are in the community has a direct impact on how Definitely. we communicate with our children about sex ed. Um, there are some states that do not teach it at all. Oof. I, to this day, I'm, I'm confident there's some communities yeah. who don't do that at all. Uh, I do want to mention, uh, f- from a resource perspective, um, I am not directly connected with Erin. Uh, there's a girl named Erin Marin who herself had childhood trauma. And, and what she is doing as an adult it is to help formalize and be consistent across all of our states a level of sexual education. And I think that there are some certain touch points, if I recall correctly, I hope I'm getting this right. I think it starts in the fifth grade and then kind of goes on. But mm-hmm. I think there's a couple of different touch points. And there's a curriculum and there's a way to talk about it. Aaron, It's called Aaron's Law, E-R-I-N. Encourage everyone to look at look it up and just familiarize yourself with it. There's, she's got a map on her website of states that have passed it, states that are currently considering it, and states that it's not happening. I, I am distantly connected with Aaron. I think she's a phenomenal human being in some of the level of effort she's going into. It sounds like you would really, you should probably look into this. Mm. I think you'd get behind it because I think it probably speaks to a lot of what some of your concerns are. And a lot of my friends, if they would have had, like, my friends that were raped in college or got STDs, you know, had their mothers or whoever was, uh, you know, their guardian at the time or wherever they got their sexual education if they had made it seem okay to go to the gynecologist when they should have gone to the gynecologist that a lot of the stuff would not happen a lot of people are like afraid to go to the gynecologist and like as a woman that's one of your like most important doctors and I've had one of my best friends her mother wouldn't let her go and so she like felt ashamed to go to the gynecologist and it's like 
what is going on, you know? Like part of that may be generational health, you know? Yeah. Know. And we yes, it is I mean, if you just step back and kinda of look at it from just a societal, you know, human nature kind of standpoint, we we continue to really s- struggle with our comfort level with sexuality. Mm-hmm. And, and there's people, I mean, all over the spectrum. Um, mm-hmm. but it's just, it's one of those things that is awkward at times to talk about. Um, and uh, we do put some taboos in place as, mm-hmm. a, as humans. Um, you know, it's just it's interesting how we... So it, you how said that, that kind of wax and wanes over, even over... You know, decades. I mean, it's not oh, like sure. we're always moving in the same direction. It just kind of ebb and flows sometimes mm-hmm. too. And different countries have different approaches. And it's just a fascinating, ongoing dance we have with our sexuality and how much we <laughs> talk That's about a good way it. Of putting it. Or, <laughs> or, you know, you framed it in a very kind way, probably better than I would have done. So I'm, I'm glad. Yeah, you I've said been kind of harsh about it. Yeah, I probably would have been a little bit firmer than what you just said. Um, however, I will, set, I will tell you that it is human nature that when you protect, deny, deny, say no, put something over there, you will eventually um, really want to explore that at some point. And so if, if in this context, if you deny a child's budding sexuality and you downgrade it and don't want to talk about it, um, you, you really create the opportunity to be taken advantage of um, on either side of the spectrum w- once they're out of your home and go out. It, it is in everyone's best interest to communicate, educate, um, and not frame it in some of, Haley, in some of the ways that you've been talking about in the past. It's yeah, it's se- damaging. Sexuality is part of being human. Mm-hmm. Um, and while it may be uncomfortable to talk about, uh, it is valuable to talk about with your children, and how you frame it has a direct impact on the rest of their lives. And to encourage children and young adults to take charge of their own bodies and their own mm-hmm. sexual health. Absolutely. And because if you're sexually healthy and you understand what's going on with you, I think you feel more confident in saying no or. Um, knowing what you are comfortable with, you know, if you are very aware mm-hmm. of your own body and that is yours, like mm-hmm. you were saying. It's just my opinion. Very strong opinions about the OBGYN. <laughs> Women should go. Well, I, I uh, appreciate both of you for coming in and, and talking about this topic, which may be awkward for some, but um, it's a very important topic. And, uh, and Jason, you know, uh, you sharing what happened in your life and helping others through your trauma is um, is a very um, noble pursuit um, mm-hmm. and it really helps others and uh, I've said it in the last podcast I'll say it again in this podcast uh, as far as one of the things that, that I think um, kind of is the measure of how we respond to things you know it, it, Bad things happen, period. Um, it's what we do with those things that kind of defines who we are. Um, and so when someone comes in, they've been through trauma, and I, one of the things I try to help them to to separate is the, the trauma from their identity. Because a lot of times they, they come mm-hmm. in and they are like you, well, oh, well, what you've been saying, Haley, is you become tainted or identified by that. And that doesn't define you. It was an event that occurred. Um, what defines you is how you respond. And so I would say, uh, you know, 
Jason, your 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 response is spectacular, um, and you you've, mm-hmm. you've helped many, and you will continue to do so. Uh, from my viewpoint, vantage point, it looks like to me you're, you're helping many along the way. So thank you so much for sharing, and, and Haley, thank you for coming in and sharing and, and helping us think on this and and, um, and talk about an important topic. So appreciate you being here. Thank you. Thanks. To listen to Dr. Mark Westfall live, check out O Brother Radio on Birmingham Mountain Radio, 107.3 FM in Birmingham, 97.5 in Tuscaloosa, at bhammountainradio.com, or on the free BMR app. Join in with your questions and comments on Twitter at Lockamy Brothers. <laughs>